Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial free versions of past episodes. Podcast blasts from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today we are rewinding back to January the 12th, uh, January the 10th, 2010. It was originally episode 360, the 22 rifle versus the shotgun for survival needs. There's a couple things going on with me choosing this episode. Uh, first and foremost, when I was going through some older episodes to, uh, to make up this week while we're doing the TSP 19 workshop and I'm, you know, out for a week because I'm uh, hanging out with about 60 awesome people from the audience. Uh, all week long here at my place at Nine Mile Farm. I thought it would be interesting maybe to come up with something approaching a series. I didn't want to do like one of the really long series, like a four-episode series or whatever, and the whole week be a series. So I found this, and it was two shows back-to-back. -back. But the way I found it was I was like, why don't I go back to the first month that I did the Survival Podcast full-time? Um, now, about this era of the survival podcast there's not the greatest audio quality even when i got into my studio for a little bit here there was a point in time where i had to seriously compress all of the older episodes due to some hosting issues that i had that went into a catastrophe mode before i got dedicated servers so you'll notice a little bit of tinniness here uh, but you won't hear road noise or me yelling at ass clowns or anything like that uh, just kind of a heads up on that but what you are hearing is the genesis of the show as it is today Uh, this was January 10th. I think I did the first ever episode that was like when I went full time on the 2nd of January 2010. So we're only like eight days into this show being a full time endeavor at this point. So I thought that was kind of cool. The other thing is I wanted some fun topics this week, some things that were not temporal since they were older shows. I didn't want to talk about, you know, whatever the ass clown politicians were doing back in the day or whatever, because that's all old news now, though it might be fun someday. To run some shows like that where you can be like, oh, yeah, I remember when I was all mad about that, and none of that really affects my life today. Huh. Yeah. Maybe we'll do that sometime. But, no, I thought this would be fun. And this is also a mental scenario. And it was a mental scenario that resulted in a second show that is the one you'll hear tomorrow that was designed to, like, say, hey, wait a minute. You guys aren't getting it. So as you're listening to this, realize that one of the big objections that I had from people Uh, with this of saying, like, if you had to have one gun for survival needs, to feed yourself, defend yourself, etc., would it be a shotgun or a .22? And the big objection that I ended up getting was, but why would you ever limit yourself like that? And the answer was because it's a fun thought experiment. So we'll save more on that for the new intro tomorrow. But as you're listening to this, I want you to realize that, like, a lot of things have changed in my life over the years since doing this. My my outlook on survivalism has changed. A lot of the things, I mean, I've always come at this show from a sense of empowerment, but a lot of things I was really concerned about, I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm like, you know what, those things are not going to happen. But I still believe in the need to defend ourselves and to feed ourselves and to master the skill of, you know, the, the skill of a rifleman, the skill of a shotgun shooter, that all of those things are important. Um, and I would love to hear today your responses to these. Both of these episodes got a lot of comments. Now, this was back, again, 2010. The episodes back in 2010 got a lot more comments, and the reason is obvious. There was a lot less people using Facebook back then. 
Uh, this was back when the forum and the blog were huge for discussion, and now the discussion's kind of all moved to social media. Um, but I would love you guys to come by and comment with your thoughts on this episode uh, while I'm gone. And I will try to check in while I'm hanging out with everybody at TSP19 and, 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 and respond to your comments and all. But maybe we do a new look at this when I get back next week, maybe the week after or something like that. Like, what is really, what is really the ultimate gun for everyday use if you could only have one gun? I still think, and here's not a spoiler alert, when it all comes down to it in the end, what I come away with with these two episodes is the most versatility comes from the shotgun. The most versatility comes from the shotgun. It can do almost anything good. Not perfect, but good. And there's a lot of things a shotgun can do that a .22 can't, but there's not that much that a .22 can do that a shotgun can't. Maybe it can't do it as well, but it can do it too. So that's kind of where I'm coming from with these two episodes, and I hope you enjoy them. Now, another thing I wanted to tell you about. So I decided to use this week to call an audible on the music. And I've been kicking around the idea of doing a series of five shows, or five, five songs in a week, that are all songs about parenting and raising our kids. Because I think one of the most important things we can do with our kids is teach them to responsibly use firearms. That's, that's the number one way we can help preserve the right to keep and bear arms. People that know how to safely use firearms are not for banning them. That's just a, a fundamental fact. So I thought this would be an interesting uh, couple shows to launch this this week of that. But So what is going to be our song of the day today? You'll have to wait till the end. And I'll just prep you that there's going to be a bit of an abrupt cutoff and shift into the new ending because, well, this is back when the show ended with the song Another Day, Another Dollar. So you'll hear the, the ending fading into music, and then you'll hear me come back in. And I'll tell you about today's song. But we have five great songs coming for you this week about parenting. With that, let's go ahead and roll on back, or rewind back, January 10, 2010, episode 360, the 22 rifle versus the shotgun for survival needs. Let's get into the main topic of today's show. Um, again, what we're going to be talking about today, though, is firearms for, let's call them either tactical or situations where we need to eat. Let me start out with my main belief about firearms. I am 100% for knowing how to use your firearm to defend yourself. I am 100% for being of the mind that if someone breaks in your home, that the first thing that they should receive from you once you know they're there is a free membership, lifetime membership, in the Horizontal Dirt Nap, nap Club. I really believe that. You join the Horizontal Club, and you know, just a few days later, you get to go to the Dirt Nap Club, and you get a lifetime membership in each one of them. So don't take what I'm about to say the wrong way. But when it comes to knowing how to use firearms, I'm of the belief that the most important skill you can have with them, other than knowing how to use them safely, is to be able to use them to feed yourself. Here's why. Hold on, you tactical nut jobs out there, and understand you're talking to one of them. I've just been willing to back up and, and examine the situation a little deeper. I want you to answer this question honestly. Honestly. How many physical confrontations have you been involved in in your lifetime? This includes pushing, shoving, playground fights as a child, boxing matches in the ring if you do that sort of thing. I don't care what it is. If you're a veteran including firefights, all right? And you're a soldier, and understand that the firefight part is not going to be there for most of us because we're not soldiers, or we're not anymore. And you're not anymore either if you're, if you're prior service now. 
But just get the number in your head. Everybody out there, men, women, children, everybody, how many physical confrontations have you been in in your life? And then add a number to that of how many you think you almost were in, things that almost got physical but didn't. All right? And if, you, if you're not sure your number's right, if you think it might be low, double it. Triple it. Now keep that number in your head. Okay, now let me ask you another question to compare it to. How many times in your life have you consumed food? Okay, compare those two numbers for me. Now if you want to figure out how many times in your life you've consumed food, you need to roughly take 365, which is how many days there are in a year, okay, times the, uh, the number of years old you are to figure out how many days you've been on the planet and assume that you've had probably at least four times that you've consumed food a day, three meals and a snack. And get that number. And compare that number to how many physical confrontations that you're in. So here's here's the reality. You may need to defend yourself. It could happen, and if you're not prepared, it could be a very severe consequence almost instantaneously, and you know, breaking the number one rule of survival by not surviving. That is true. But a constancy from now until the day that you join the horizontal dirt nap club yourself, because that's where we all end up eventually. Until that day comes, every day, several times a day, you will have a need to feed yourself. There are people that walk through their lives that never have a single physical confrontation in their life. There's actually many of them. There's also people that have to risk physical confrontation on a daily basis. We call them soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, coast guard, and law enforcement officers. And the needs of the civilian are generally quite different from the needs of those people. That doesn't mean we can't learn from their experience, because let's face it, when the bullets start flying, we're all in the same boat, right? But even those people, my brother-in-law, been a police officer in Grand Prairie for 16 years. He's never fired his weapon in anger. and He was a member of the tactical team for 10 years until he quit it uh, after having his first child. And deciding, you know, hey, I, I want to make sure I come home every night, and this is just increasing my danger. He works the night shift by choice, so he's out in the middle of it. He patrols the, you know, the, the drug slums of Grand Prairie. Never fired his weapon in anger, ever. Been in quite a few tussles and confrontations. Told me some pretty funny stories about uh, the little paintball-type guns that they use, <laughs> and... Uh, a guy that needed a few of those, and he had a partner that ended up ended up having to shoot uh, a, a suspect who was trying to run over him with a car. But he himself, 16 years, never fired in anger. Now, if he's not done it, you see what I'm saying here, but he's eating every day. So that's why I feel that way. So I didn't want to belabor that point too much, but I really want to drive it home for the folks that are sitting on top of a couple ARs in a big pile of ammo and don't own a 22 or a shotgun, and that have never gone out and improved their skill set from a standpoint of how do I use these weapons in the field if I need to feed myself. Because that 223, it's not a squirrel rifle, my friends. You hit anything other than the front end of the head, you've exploded the squirrel, there's nothing left to eat. I've done it to see what will happen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll be honest. I've done a real-world test on what does a 223 do to a gray squirrel. Um, I actually, sh I was able to use mine. I shot it in the head, but even shooting it in the head, it pretty much destroyed the entire front end of the squirrel. 
The head was gone, and like somebody chopped it off with an axe. It's not the right tool for the job. So, so let's now, with that in mind, go into the concepts of I might need to have this weapon for defense, and it needs to be capable of it if I need it for defense. But my weight in, evol- in evaluating—I hate to get a scenario, but a survival situation—is I need to feed myself daily, or I'll starve. And the consequences of death by starvation may be, to some people, worse than the consequences of, the consequences of death by a bullet. One is very slow and painful. The other can be quite quick and uh, even where you don't know it. So when I look at the shotgun in the 22, and I say, what are the capabilities of the weapon? And let's, to be fair, let's call this a, 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 a either a pump-action or semi-auto shotgun versus a semi-auto 22 or a bolt-action or lever-action or pump-action, any 22, any good 22 rifle. And we've rate a fire out because both of those can be compensated for by action. And I look at the two and I say, which is the more versatile tool from a performance standpoint? There is no question that the shotgun wins that battle. With slugs, even out of a, a smoothbore shotgun, I have a reasonable weapon uh, with the right sighting apparatus out to 100 yards. And I know some of them now can shoot these Sabo slugs and all can shoot 200, but let's call it, let's call it a 100 yard weapon with a shotgun slug, with most slugs. That slug is damn close to the equivalent of a 4570 in energy. And at close ranges, it's actually more. So I have a very good, um, single projectile weapon capable of taking big game and ending a human-to-human conflict extremely fast. In fact, it is probably the most devastating short-range single-projectile weapon that the average person can afford. If we look at 50 cals and stuff, we're we're going out of the, the norm. But a shotgun slug at 25 yards is one of the most deadly things on the planet. So I've got that heavy hitter capability with a shotgun. On the other hand, I can switch to something like buckshot, uh, for a multiple projectile, heavy weapon at close range. And then I can switch to something totally the opposite end of the spectrum, like eights or nines for shooting doves and small birds. I can drop back to sixes for smaller species of ducks, squirrels, pheasants. I can come down to number fours for larger species of ducks, number twos to BB shot for geese and turkey. And, and here's the big thing. I have a real ability to take game on the wing with a shotgun which a lot of times if you're hunting birds, that's what you're going to get. Even if you're in a survival, so I hate the term, but survival situation, and you're willing to eat Tweety birds a lot of times, you're talking about a bird that's flying through the air. Much easier to take out with the pattern spread of a shotgun than with a single projectile 22. So from a flexibility standpoint in ammunition, I mean, I could even get flashbangs. I can get... There, there, you know, there are actually you don't get these as civilians. But there's explosive rounds for a shotgun. There is so much flexibility, flare rounds. I mean, there's just an endless uh, grouping of possibilities for the shotgun. Additionally, the shotgun can be reloaded. That's that's another advantage that it has over the 22. I can reload shotgun shells. I can get a reload all for any gauge. Dirt cheap without all the bushings and powder measure that I need and stock up with some shot and some powder and I can have a, a huge supply of ammunition with just, you know, 
a, a couple hundred uh, holes. And shotgun holes are really easy and inexpensive to come by. I need primers too for that, but you get the point. I can reload, and I can I can get even more flexibility by reloading. I can reload loads that are not commonly available, and uh, so there's a tremendous amount of flexibility there. With a 22, I've pretty much got shorts and long rifles to pick from. A 22 long is a pointless development. Never bother purchasing 22 longs. Um, they just never work out as well as a long rifle or a short. They're they're just kind of a lost cause, honestly. Uh, they were an interim gap measure that somehow managed to cling and stick around. With 22 shorts, I have a very short range projectile, 29 grains of lead usually. I think it's 29 or 24, somewhere in there. Lighter than the typical 40 grain down to 36 grains with hollow points with a long rifle. I've got a short cartridge length. Doesn't fire well in semi-automatics. Will fire just fine in just about every other weapon. Nice thing, very low report, very low, very low uh, sound, even much quieter than the typical 22 long rifle. So I've got a quiet weapon, but I have a limited range with that 22 short, and a limited killing effectiveness, severely limited. I could switch to 22 long rifles, which is what you would use 99% of the time anyway. I've still got a much quieter report than any shotgun other than a 410, and a 410 is not on the table for this discussion. At least not right now. Maybe we'll do that someday. So I've got a much quieter weapon, and even even a 410, it's quieter than a 410. And I've got long-range capability out to 100 yards with precision. More precision, I would say, than a shotgun slug. If you practice and you get good with a 22, most 22s are capable of golf ball size accuracy at 75 yards. And palm of the hand sized accuracy are better at 100. So I've got very precision accuracy out to 100 yards. I do have limited killing effectiveness. The, the comparison in the killing effectiveness, the knockdown potential of a shotgun slug and a 22 long rifle is, is massive degrees apart. But I've got that precision. I've got the ability to take out game anywhere from 10 to 100 yards with a common ammunition that I don't have to change or worry about what's in there. And I can take up to and larger than deer-sized game in a true, God, I hate to say it again, survival situation. A situation in which, for one reason or another, I am willing to violate the law because me eating today depends on it. I actually like that better than survival situation. Right? 22 long rifle in the head. Now, let me tell you the misconceptions. And you're going to have a lot of people out there disagreeing with me today, and I'm okay with that. Whenever firearms come up, 20 guys with 20 years of experience have 20 different opinions. And none of them are necessarily wrong. But many of them are simply limited because you haven't been exposed to things. I've seen two white-tailed deer shot with what would be considered good headshots by a 22 long rifle. One shot front on, dead between the eyes. Uh, both of these came from Pennsylvania fishing game photographs of the deer that eventually were put down. That bullet turned and went and ripped open this, this, uh, it was a doe, it ripped open her head, gave her a severe injury. She ran away. She was eventually put down by, uh, fishing game, uh, because she had massive infection, uh, and was observed with that massive infection and was put down for that reason. But they're, you know, 99% positive somebody went out with a spotlight at night a poacher and shot her in between the eyes with a 22 and that was the result 223 we know what would have happened so even just a moderate you know probably a 22 hornet 
that wouldn't have happened. There was also another one that they had a photograph of where the deer was hit just behind the eye, um, and it actually shattered the eye socket, blinded the deer on that side of the eye, ripped, ended up ripping, like got turned and ripped the side of her ear, and it caused a, just a, a gross external injury. Um, the poacher was actually observed in the act uh, and apprehended, and the animal was followed up on the next day uh, because of the injuries it was suspected to receive. Uh, it was found uh, very disoriented and, you know, decided that it needed to be put down as well. But in both of those instances, the weapon failed to provide um, food for the person taking the shot. So it is not 100% that if you shoot a deer in the head with a 22, you're going to put it down. But if you had to do it, the percentage is high enough that I would take the shot. And I know that the shot most of the time in the right hands is going to happen. But both of those shots were good shots. So this assumption that some people have that the 22 will always put down a deer with a headshot at a reasonable range. And both of these ranges were estimated to be somewhere in the 25-yard range. So these weren't guys banging away from 100 yards out with a 22 on a deer. So there's a limited effectiveness of the 22. Now I'm going to tell you a different story about the 22 that I, I believe 100% because of who it comes from. The gentleman's name was Peter Hathaway Capstick. Uh, he wrote a lot of books about big game hunting in Africa, a couple about big game hunting in South America, and uh, was very well known in the 70s as a writer for Guns and Ammo magazine. He spent, I believe, 15 years as a professional hunter uh, taking clients in South Africa. So this is a guy that knows what he's talking about. And he believes the source of this story, so I believe the source of the story. Apparently, two guys went out to, to poach an elephant. One guy had a gun that was suitable for elephants. I don't remember it was a 458 or a 375, something like that. And the other guy had a 22. And these two geniuses come up with a plan. The guy with the 22 is going to go in where this elephant's like hiding and plink it in the ass with the 22. That's going to move it out, and then this guy's going to shoot it. So he goes in, and you know he's hiding somewhere, and he can see this big gray blodge where the elephant is. And he thinks, oh, it doesn't matter where I shoot it, and he shoots. And then the elephant takes off and runs like totally away from him, but totally away from his buddy. And the two of them are talking, going, basically, we got to get out of here before the you know, game sheriff shows up or whatever, and risk going to jail, and uh, all of a sudden they hear a, a death trumpet and a crash, and they just look bewildered at each other, and they go out and they find this elephant dead, and what had happened is the guy had, you know, by pure chance, taken take an angling shot that missed the ribs and went in between two ribs and actually penetrated through to the heart of an elephant and killed an elephant with a twenty two long rifle. So the weapon has potential, but realizing it is difficult. So, again, I go back to which one is more flexible. It's the shotgun. But then here's where the real thing comes down to. You can have the most amazing weapon in the world. If you don't have ammunition for it, then you have a problem. Now, I've not actually ever found a spec on what's the average box of 12-gauge shotgun shells weigh, but... If I look at an average shotgun shell load being an ounce and a quarter of shot, okay, and I take away the weight of the shell itself, the, the primer, the powder, the wad, because it's pretty lightweight, and I just go at the shot, and I say with a one and a quarter ounce uh, uh, shot shell load and 25 uh, shells, then uh, I multiply that 
uh, by 25, I, and I get a number, and I divide that, I get one point, by 16, I get 1.95 pounds. That means we're somewhere in the neighborhood of two pounds a box for 12-gauge shotgun shells. So let's say we, we drop back with the lethality factor a little bit and compromise on a 20-gauge. What do we get then? Like an average load of, let's say, an ounce. So I get a box of 20-gauge shells weighing about one and a half pounds. So that's a box that's 25 rounds. All right, so now let's say I want to maximize and be able to carry enough ammunition uh, with my shotgun to be flexible. So let's say I have a box of birdshot. Um, let's let's do seven and a halfs to compromise. So I'm not carrying sixes, nines, or or, or fours and eights. So I got seven and a halfs. Um, and then let's say I have a um, uh, a, a box of uh, slugs. Usually you end up with with, with five and most, but I want 25 slugs. So I have 25 slugs. Call that another two pounds. Now I got four pounds of ammunition weight, and all I've got is 50 rounds split up into slugs and uh, birdshot. Let's say I want also want 20 pounds. Of or 20, 25 rounds of uh, buckshot. Call it the same. Now I've got six pounds of ammunition. I also have just picture a shot shell box. That much bulk that I have to carry to carry 75 rounds. Now if I want to carry a hundred rounds of 22 long rifle ammunition, you know I've got basically two D cell batteries that I'm carrying is, is what it comes out to to carry a hundred rounds of uh, 22 long rifle. So when you start looking at it that way, you realize that now with the shotgun, I was carrying 75 rounds and more than 6 pounds of additional weight and all that bulk. And with the 22, I'm carrying a few ounces of additional weight and 100 rounds. So the flexibility starts to change when I look at, am I going to be mobile with the weapon? Uh, it's pretty easy to pack 500 rounds of ammunition with you with a 22. It's virtually impossible to do with a shotgun if you're going to be mobile on foot. It's a, just a massive amount of weight, and the other things that you kind of need to take with you make it impractical to do. And that's one of the strongest things that the 22 rifle has going for it. And it's why that in the edge, if I'm going to say, you know, this is for uh, a wilderness tool, the 22 has to get the nod. It has to get the nod over the shotgun, unless it's a very short-duration trip, and then you still have the potential for it to turn into a long-duration trip due to an emergency or an accident. So the 22 is really, really tough to beat. The rifle itself is generally going to be lighter than a shotgun. I can go to a single-shot shotgun that I get a lot of lightweight. I do a lot of hunting uh, with a uh, single-shot 20-gauge for squirrels because it's super lightweight. You're carrying around a tube and a stock, basically. you know, And you carry a box of shells. That's enough to get you through a day of squirrel hunting easily. Um, but So that's why I, I say that. So I took a long time to get here, I guess. But I hope it's made you think a little bit about maybe some of the preconceptions that you have about shotguns versus 22s. And if you say, well, Jack, I'm going to take a, a shotgun as my primary weapon, and I'm going to, you know, I, I know I'm limited in ammo, but I'm going to make that choice because I think it has more knockdown power and greater flexibility, I wouldn't have a problem with it. In fact, I'd say I'm glad you made an informed decision. But my big thing today, what I want to get across to you guys is when you're making decisions about weapons, are you making informed decisions? Or are you making a decision that's being guided mostly by people that type out opinions? And I don't want to put down forms because we have a great one and there's a lot of great ones out there. But when you get into forms, especially on firearms, you get into situations where there's a lot of people that talk like they know a lot of things, but they can't shoot to save their life. If you took them out on a sporting clay range uh, and, and went through a 25-station uh, clay range, they'd end up with zero hits. You know, they've, they've never 
drawing blood with a firearm. And there's something to be said for drawing, and I don't mean in a combat situation, I mean on a deer, I mean on a squirrel, I mean on a dove, and not once or twice, but spend season after season after season pursuing game. See game hit in ways that you go, I can't believe that animal went 100 yards. How is that possible? See strange things happen with bullets. Here's something I saw firsthand. Uh, animal dropped, but to this day I can't really explain how this bullet performed this way. I was shooting a 7mm Magnum, 165-grain Sierra Boattail, smoking round, plenty big enough, plenty heavy enough for elk hunters. In fact, a lot of elk hunters use that very load with the 7mm Magnum. Shots 100 yards. It's a psycho deer, which is an exotic deer. They kind of look like a small elk. This animal was maybe 180 pounds. It looked 140. They're a very dense, compact animal. And standing broadside shot, shoulder shot, break the shoulder bones, smash through into the vitals, out the other side. What could be easier? Had dead solid, held dead solid on the shoulder blade and took the shot and hit. <clears throat> Couldn't have been a quarter inch off of where I was aiming. When I looked at the hole, I went, it's exactly where I was holding. Bullet hits the shoulder blade, manages to break the shoulder blade, turns 90 degrees upward, doesn't touch the lungs, not even the front side of them, doesn't hit any major arteries, blows out almost straight up into the air, and breaks the animal's back and spine, and that's why it dropped to the ground. It dropped to the ground and began moving around, and I, it took a second shot to put it down. And after I examined the first wound, I have to tell you, this deer would have laid there for hours like that had I not put a killing shot in. Now, there was nothing wrong with the shot. There was nothing wrong with the load. And the weapon was more than capable of making the shot as it was taken. The shot could have been taken a hundred times, and 99 of them, it would have had a textbook result of driving through that shoulder blade. But on that day, under those conditions, that bullet did not perform the way that you would expect it to. And it was a very high quality, uh, it was federal premium ammunition, very high quality ammo. And uh, Sierra Boattails, very high quality uh, bullet. I'm not blaming the bullet, I'm not blaming the gun, I'm not blaming myself, the shooter. The spot that I made, the, 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 the impact was exactly where it was supposed to be. Any, any hunter or guide would have looked at that shot and went, that was beautiful. And any, anybody else with any, you know, any formed background would have looked at the way that bullet performed and just went, I don't understand. And to this day, I don't understand. I don't really get it. All I can figure is I've butchered enough deer to know that that shoulder blade has a, kind of a raised V. And that bullet must have hit exactly where that raised V uh, comes together. And that must have created a turn point for that round and caused that trajectory upward. Obviously, the bullet stayed together for it to turn and then, at a 90-degree angle, break through and exit the spine. There's, there's, there's no doubt the bullet held together. Its construction did not fail. It was just simply that it was turned and did an odd thing. Bullets do strange things. And no matter how much you spend on quality components, they'll continue to do strange things. And that's why the armchairs always get kind of the rolled eyes from the people that have actually been out in the field, be it in combat or be it in hunting. Two very, very different worlds. I make no claim that they're the same. But when you start putting bullets into living tissue, 
all the things that ballistic gelatin tell us, all the things that shooting, you know, soaking wet phone books tell us, all the things that shooting mock-ups of uh, drywall on walls tell us, they all sort of, in some ways, go out the window. The majority of times, things will happen the way that we expect them to happen. But they won't always happen that way. And that's, and why am I talking about this? Because I'm, I'm talking about advocating the use of the 22 long rifle as a survival tool. Up to and including shooting medium game with it if you ever get in a situation where you have no other choice. But then you better understand the limitations of the weapon. And if a 7mm magnum can do that, then what could a 22 do? So if I was going to pick the perfect 22 for a survival situation, what would it be? It would probably be uh, a Marlin Model 60, which is a tubular-fed uh, Marlin, because it has greater capacity than I think it's the Model 70 Marlin that is uh, magazine-fed. Uh, uh, but uh, either one of those would be okay. But my primary choice would be the Ruger 1022 for a survival tool. Now, this, this flies in the face of advice I gave you a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, I did a show on mastering the 22 rifle. I said, get a bolt action if you want to become a master of the tool. And I still believe that. That would be the primary 22 I would use for day-to-day hunting and day-to-day training and to make yourself the best rifleman you can be. But when you take a person that's well-trained and well-versed with a 22 bolt action that can shoot and fire at reasonable cadence, which is the speed of fire, a bang, 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 at that kind of speed with a 22 bolt at 25 yards and shoot competently at that speed. And I'm talking groups the size of a 50 cent piece, which, which is a lot easier to do than a lot of people will lead themselves to believe if they'll just practice good fundamentals. Once that's mastered, you take a 1022 or a Model 60 or any good quality semi-auto 22 and put it in that person's hands and you have a hell of a weapon. And you have a weapon that if it does need to be used on medium game, can put three or four rounds into that medium game very, very quickly and very, very efficiently. And hopefully it's the first shot's a precision headshot, but there's a lot of follow-up coming really, really quick. If it needs to be used in a defensive situation, I don't want to be shot with anything, but I damn sure don't want five rounds of 22 in the chest in about two seconds, which is very, very doable in, you know, that God forbid you have that situation. So to me, it is the premier weapon as a survival 22. So what about the concept of, well, train with what you're gonna, you're gonna depend on? No. Train with what makes you the best. Let, let's look at it this way. Let's look at the Olympics, Summer Olympics. Guy with a shot put, right? I don't know what shot puts way. I'm not an expert in, in, in shot putting. But I do know a fundamental fact. Shot putters, will practice with a heavier shot put than what they have to throw in competition because it greaterly does a greater job of developing the muscle, muscles and it enables them by training with that heavier shot put to them when they're throwing what their what their career depends on to throw it better and further. And of course they'll practice sometimes with with a regulation shot put to gauge their improvement. But but day-to-day conditioning They'll use a heavier shot, but that's how I view the bolt action 22 rifle and hunting with the bolt action 22 rifle. Getting that skill set where you have that speed and, and capability down to where it's mastered. So, okay, well then maybe I'll be carrying my 22 bolt action and I'll be out in the woods and I'll be in a survival situation. Now I'm stuck with it. Well, my wood shop teacher 
used to say when I would say what if, what if, what if, he'd say, Spirico, if your aunt had testicles, she'd be your uncle. So we get all these what ifs. <laughs> and I'm glad I lived in a time where a teacher could make a statement like that and not end up in front of the school board and fired. But it made a lasting impression on me that all these what ifs are, are, are these, these hypothetical situations are not worth weighing down good practical advice for. So if you're going off on a long trip into the wilderness and you're going to be out there for a couple of weeks, take your 1022. I'm not going to get upset about it. I'm just saying that I would develop the skill set with the bolt action first. And once the skill set's developed, if you want to let it sit in your corner of your, your gun cabinet and use it very sparingly and, and spend more time with your semi-autos because you like them better, you're a grown man. Do what you want. I'm just telling you what I've learned from practical experience. On a shotgun, if you ask me what is the perfect shotgun for a survival situation, it's also really a semi-automatic. And it, but we're going into what is. It, I think the pump is the perfect uh, shotgun. Its inherent limitation is if it ever does have to be used one-handed. That's one of those what ifs. That's a 99.9% chance it ain't going to happen. Uh, but there are situations where it may be necessary, and being able to to have a higher rate of fire. But I have a hard time saying that anything is more perfect for the job than the Remington 870, the old Winchester Model 12s, the Mossberg 500. I, those three uh, shotgun frames are just absolutely outstanding. They're robust. They're inexpensive. They're proven. They're dependable. They're easily maintained. Um, for easy ease of maintenance, I actually see the 870 as being the easiest to maintain pump-action shotgun out there. Uh, Mossberg's got kind of a funny way they do with their plug and all, but, I mean, if you take that out, and it doesn't really matter ever again. But I don't know. 870s, to me, are the, the easiest to break down, care for, and, and seem to be the most robust. And I really have a fondness for the old Winchester Model 12s. And there's still a lot of them out there, very cheap used to gun shows. And if you see one and you have a few hundred dollars on you, pick it up, put it in a gun cabinet, Give it to a great-grandkid someday. It'll be worth the fortune someday. Trust me, they're drying up. They're still affordable, but it's not going to stay that way forever. Some of the specific models of the Model 12 shotgun, like the Featherweight, are selling for thousands of dollars already because uh, they were made in limited supply. So that's, that's just a little tip built in there. So, uh, you know, I, I think the thing with guns is you can, you can go on and on about, you know, this or that, but what you really have to look at is what is the thing that you're most likely to face in, in any type of situation. And to me, the thing you're most likely to face is, again, a need to feed yourself or a need to defend yourself. And I think that any gun will do a reasonable job of that if you're proficient with it and know its efficiencies. So what's the answer? Do you get the 22 or do you get the shotgun? You should know what the right answer is. You get both of them. Extremely affordable, affordable ammunition, capability to reload with the shotgun, um, flexibility with the shotgun, you want it. The 22, it has all the other advantages that we talked about, including being able to go long distances with large amounts of ammunition that uh, you know weigh no more than a few D batteries in your backpack. So both of them are purpose-built tools. So... The objective with any firearm is to have the right tool at the right time for the right job to the best of your ability, which doesn't always happen. Um, if you ended up out in the, in, the, in the woods and there was a deer at 200 yards in a clear, clear cut, 
Obviously, the right tool for the job is a good quality center fire. A 260, a 243, a 308, a 3006, a 7 Mauser, a 33806, a 338 Winchester. But at the same time, you could be out there with that deer rifle, and now you have a, uh, you know, a rough grouse or a mountain hare or something 15 yards away. There, there, there's, there's never a perfect situation, which brings me to be: Can we create something that's pretty daggone cool? The under and over combination gun. Um, you know, let's say a 20 gauge shotgun over a 22 long rifle. I like those weapons. I've never purchased one. And I've had a couple times where I've almost done it, and I probably should. They have a unique advantage in that you do have the long-range capability of the 22 and the ability to use you know, a rifle for a rifle's job, and then you have a shotgun for taking shots on the wing or dropping a slug in. You still have the, the, the fundamental fact that you have a weight limitation with your shotgun shells, but now we can compensate that for that, and even if we run out of shotgun shells, we still have a tremendous amount of 22 rifle cartridges. So those compensate each other rather well. My issue, though, is for me, the 22 is not maximized in effectiveness without a scope on it. And I've never seen a combination gun that would work really good with a scope, even kind of a see-through mount scope where you could drop down and use the shotgun and up to use the scope. Um, the 22 shooting out to 30, 40 yards with iron sights, you should be very, very solid with your ability to do that. But with a good, with the right choke and the right ammunition, shooting small game, you should be able to do that with a shotgun anyway. Uh, so... The 22 is allowing you to go beyond that range, and without a scope in the timber, that's difficult. So that's why I'm not a huge fan of the combo uh, over and unders, but they're cool, and I, I do uh, I do see the potential there, and maybe one day I'll pick one up and play with it for a while. But I'd like to hear your thoughts today. I want a lot of feedback from this show. I want to hear why you think I'm wrong. I may not agree with you, but I'll respect you when you tell me. I want to hear you say where you think I'm right. I want to hear complete differing opinions. I want to hear the best weapon is whatever you think it is and why. Um, I'm going to be asked why I don't include handguns in this discussion. It's because handguns are a stopgap measure. Handguns are what you carry when you cannot carry a rifle. And they even teach you that in Marine Corps. You use your handgun to fight your way back to your rifle. It, it is for situations where because of legalities or practicality, you cannot have a rifle on you. Because a rifle or a shotgun is always a better tool than a handgun. Uh, unless you're an assassin. Right? Or maybe if you're playing your security and you want to create the image that you're not armed so that you are more likely to see a potential threat and they're less likely to try to avoid you. But, you know, for the rest of us in the real world, a handgun is what we carry when we're walking around on the streets for personal defense and we would probably be better off with a carbine or a shotgun, but you can't walk down Main Street with a shotgun over your back. And that's probably, that probably even me, as big of an advocate as I am of right to carry, that's probably a good thing. Right? So, let me hear it. Let me hear you hear where you think I'm wrong. Let me hear you where you think I got it all wrong. And uh, if I tell you I think you're wrong back, don't get upset. Uh, this is an open discussion today. 
And I hope it's been a good one for you. I wanted to do something different. I've done a lot of gardening lately, and uh, I've done. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and start doing a little bit on politics once in a while. But I thought this would be a great discussion. A 22 long rifle or 12 gauge shotgun, which make and which model, and why. I've given you my case. Let's hear yours. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up today. So here we go with uh, our leadoff song and songs about parenting and lessons about parenting and, and being a good dad, being a good mom, etc. This song is probably one that immediately came to your mind. It is kind of the the anthem of absentee fatherism and the consequences of it. Harry Chapin's Cats in the Cradle. This song is actually sort of, kind of, how this whole week of songs about parenting came to happen. There's a song you're going to hear later this week called Next Year. And I, I couldn't remember the name of the song, even though I was saying the name of the song. I was saying it was about the things that are going to happen next year. Um, but I kept, I, you know, when I described that song, a whole bunch of you emailed me and said, you're talking about Cats of the Cradle. I was like, no, I'm not, but... I should do that song, this song, and three other songs and do a week of songs about parenting. What this song, though, is to me, it's really kind of a metaphorical explanation of a metaphor. The metaphor of you get, you sow what you, 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 you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow, right? That's, that's a parable from the Bible. And if we, if we sow poor seed, we reap a poor crop. Well, if you sow the seeds of not putting your children first, you will eventually reap, reap a crop of your children that do not put you first. And, and that's what this song is really all about. This boy grew up just like him. Now I wonder though, because this is something that I've noticed about this type of, this type of error in parenting. Often, children that grow up this way do grow up to not have time to spend with their parents. However, they don't turn out to be parents that don't have time to spend with their children. And I've always wondered, did the, 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 the young man in this story, who grew up to be just like his father, actually do that? Or did he instead prioritize his children so highly that he left behind his dad? I'm not sure, but my advice to you is, Teach your children to be like you. Teach them to be like you by being the way you want them to be when they're parents. With that, we kick off the first uh, first show in a week of Rewinds. It's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away And he was talking for I knew it And as he grew, he'd say I'm gonna be like you, Dad You know I'm gonna be like you And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon Little boy blue and the man on the moon When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when But we'll get together then You know we'll have a good time then I got a lot to do He said that's okay And he 
his smile never dimmed it. I'm gonna be like him, yeah. You know I'm gonna be like him. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. We'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Just the other day, so much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, What I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later, can I have them, please? And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. Just like me.